The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Word of the day is subsidiaries. Are they a straight path to market expansion or a potentially tangled ecosystem that's tangled and maybe is tangled as well? The experts speak. We're going to hear from Steve King from Emergent Research today. Steve says, for the first time in modern history, the developing world, not the developed world, is the global engine driving economic growth. This, coupled with the rapidly increasing use of social technologies, is fundamentally changing the relationship between companies and their foreign subsidiaries. We have a lot to hear from Steve, and I'll be introducing him to you in just a moment. We're going to also hear from returning panelist Mike Morell from SAP. And Mike says, companies are squandering their investments in subsidiaries. There are some powerful fighting words from Mike. He says they need to share more, implement governance, compliance and regulation, and manage subsidiary independence. Aha! That's an interesting concept. We'll be hearing from Mike, and I'll introduce him in a moment. And we're going to also be joined by Eric Yacht. Malcolm Stoller from Vivaldi Partners. He's right now navigating the tangled ecosystem of the New York City subways on his way to join us in a few minutes. And he says, social media, social networks, and the new digital technologies enable consumers around the world. Companies must learn and understand the change that is taking place in the outside that wrestles away control from the company to the customer, and we will tie that into our topic of subsidiaries. So my question to our listeners is, has anything changed in the world of subsidiaries since we first started covering this topic way back on February 1st and again on May 23rd, what's happening around the dinner table, the proverbial dinner table? The parent is the big company. The children are mm, petulant teenagers. I don't know, pouting and, and uh, doing their own thing. Kids, are they almost adults? We're talking about their subsidiaries. So our title of the topic today is Subsidiaries Part 3, Curing Chaos at the Family Dinner Table. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Coffee break with Game Changers, episode number 54, and I want to thank all of you who've listened to the show over the past year. About a month ago, we were up to 40,000 monthly listeners, and we thank you so much for having faith in us to bring you good information, great thought leaders, an interesting way to present game-changing business ideas. Who knew? Happy to be here. Now I need a moment with my listeners before I introduce my guests. Hey, if you're a game-changer in the retail industry, and I know a lot of you are, you may want to know what the keys are to retail differentiation. We've got it all in a free ebook for you. Transform your big data into big da- value for the retail industry. Simple. Go to our page on Voice America and click the 
Are you a game changer on the go banner? It'll take you to a resource page with all kinds of freebies, including this free ebook. It's my gift to you for listening to us on Game Changers Radio. And now I'd like to introduce my special guest, Steve King, founding partner at Emergent Research, where he leads ongoing research to identify, analyze, and forecast trends and shifts impacting business and society. Steve King, say a quick hello. How are you today? Good. How are you doing today, Bonnie? Wonderful. I need you to talk a drop louder. I'm thrilled to have you back, Steve, and thank you for joining us. We're going to tap your brain and see what Emergent has found about emerging trends in subsidiaries and their parent-child relationships. Mike Morrell joined SAP and the Business by Design team in late 2010. Previously, Mike was a manufacturing manager on the factory floor. Sounds exciting, Mike. And a vertical marketing director at various companies, including HP, BEA, iLog, and Adobe. Welcome back, Mike Morrell. How are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you. Good. Glad to have you. And, uh, Justin, do we have Eric on the line with us yet? Yes, I am. We, oh, Eric, wonderful. You navigated the subways. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm a New Yorker and I'm, I'm so sorry for what happened to you, but we're glad to have you. Eric is founder and CEO of Vivaldi Partners Group, a consulting firm, global firm that works to help unlock innovation and growth opportunities for brands and businesses in a digitally connected world. Say a quick hello, Eric. Hello, hello, everyone. Wonderful. Glad to have you on board. <laughs> Great panel today, and I'm going to go back, and we're going to deep dive into the quotes. Let's start with Steve King. You say, for the first time in modern history, and this is the pithy part, Steve, the developing world, not the developed world, is the global engine driving economic growth. Talk to me about that. First time in modern history. How far back are we looking, Steve? Well, you know, it's hard to say, but certainly certainly since the Renaissance. It's, it's an interesting question. I, I actually saw an academic debate whether or not when Rome fell, that was an example of the developing world driving growth. And I thought, well, that's going back pretty far. But, but certainly in our modern era, where growth has been run by, driven primarily by the countries that are, that are considered the developed countries. And if you look at, at sort of the IMF forecasts and the International Monetary Fund and others, they're, they're projecting that about 60 to 70 percent of total economic growth over the next decade will come from countries that that are that we consider developing right now. People like China and India, of course, but also Brazil and Russia and Indonesia and even even the countries of Africa. And so, un, unlike past in the past, where we did concentrate our growth, certainly for the last few decades, has been North America and Europe, um, Japan and Japan to a lesser degree. What we're seeing of this shift to the rest of the world is really being the drivers. Okay, and I want to ask you, thank you for that. Good history and geography lesson. I appreciate that. Now, I want to finish the rest of your quote, Steve. You say, coupled with the rapidly increasing use of social technologies, which is a theme we talk about almost all the time here on Game Changers Radio, Steve, is fundamentally changing the relationship between companies and their foreign subsidiaries. Now, let's put into context the relevancy or the contextual aspect of the word foreign. Foreign subsidiaries means you're the parent company of one country and your subs are in other countries. Is that how we're going to kind of, uh, context this? Uh, yeah, that's generally how I look at it, yeah. Okay, fine. So social technologies, how is that impacting, quickly, how is that impacting the relationship between what I call the parents and their children? Well, it lets the information flow so much more quickly and so much more efficiently that, that you can have a much stronger relationship. And I think one of the big ways that's having an impact is information and and innovation used to flow primarily from the parent to the subsidiaries. Mm -hmm. um, information, and particularly innovation, didn't flow quite as much back. 
um, in the past. But what we're seeing today is foreign subsidiaries, uh, because of the size of their markets, the growth of their markets, but also their ability to create and innovate, they're coming up with products, ideas, concepts, business approaches that are relevant for the parent, and actually the parent is now much more likely to look to the subsidiaries as an equal partner in creating new products, new new ideas, and new business processes. Thank you, Steve. I'm having a little trouble hearing you. I'm going to have Justin see what he can do to regulate, but I, I did get the gist of it. Your volume is fine. Could be on my end. I'm going to move to Mike Morrell. Mike, let's talk about your quote. You say companies are squandering their investments in subsidiaries. Those are fighting words, Mike Morrell. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> well, if you take a look at at, at uh, different corporate strategies, you know, whether it's it's all around uh, expansion into new markets, you know, solidifying core markets or even even getting out of markets companies are spending a lot of money to bring companies on board and in some cases to uh to move them to other places um and what we find is there's a tremendous amount of activity and and money spent around making all the the actual acquisition part happen or or establishment of joint ventures you know everything associated with with creating a new organization but then they seem to forget about what it takes to to manage this process, mm-hmm. uh, both to to bring an organization on board and what it costs to do that, but also as you start getting many of them. So instead of having you know thinking of one subsidiary, two subsidiaries, if you start thinking about a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, um, then many companies are are finding that it's, it's just a uh, a little bit of chaos to to use a lot of the words that you're using today. Mm-hmm. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're stepping back and they're saying, gosh, uh, this, is, this is a very large expense, and it's not clear that I'm getting my value because now if I've got, you know, three, four, five hundred subsidiaries, I've got 500 vendors to manage, I've got 500 upgrades to worry about, I've got 500, you know, I've got many, many different interfaces to worry about. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a huge, huge expense. And so, you- go ahead. I was going to ask you if you think some companies are, well, I'll call sub-happy. They just say, okay, let's just keep expanding, 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 and not doing what you're calling the infrastructure work, the homework to figure it all out. What's it going to take? Uh, you know, I think that's exactly the case, Bonnie, is that in many cases, mm-hmm. the people that are managing a lot of the M&A activity, of course, are a different part of the organization than the IT organization. And what happens is, you know, all this flurry of activity goes out to uh, to bring a new company on board, and then they sort of throw it over the fence to IT and let IT worry about it. And I think maybe that that uh, maybe isn't doesn't sound complicated when it's one at a time, but when all of a sudden it's a hundred or two hundred, then all of a sudden the uh, the guys in IT, you know, are really choking on what they have to do. And so the, the real opportunity here is to say, okay, so so what am I going to do about that? And how am I going to take a, a methodical approach to managing what has become, you know, in my words, a, a tangled mess of, of subsidiaries and infrastructure. And thus, chaos at the dinner table. Thank you, Mike. And let's turn to Eric Jakobstaller from Vivaldi Partners. Eric, thank you again for braving the subways of, of my home city and joining us. And let me read your quote again. You may not have heard it the first time. And let's talk about that. We have three minutes to break, and I'm going to give it to you. Social media, social networks, and the new digital technologies enable consumers around the world. Companies must learn and understand the change taking place in the outside that wrestles away control from the company to the customer. Pull this together for me in the light of our topic on subsidiaries, please, Eric. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think that 
I think we all agree on the same facts, namely that the outside world is changing so rapidly. Technology is consumerized today. We are all empowered. Uh, we have uh, everybody can listen. Everybody uh, of, uh, engages. Everybody collaborates. There is uh, everybody's in conversation. Is an advocate of a brand, uh, and uh, and everybody is a blogger and an author, if you will, uh, uh, and uh, harming or or, or or strengthening a reputation, if you will, of a company or of a product. So that is the outside world, but companies in the inside uh, are still uh, not prepared to match that change in the outside. Jack Welch said once, if the rate of change in the outside is faster than the, than the rate of change in the inside, the end is near. And this is, I think, the point I want to make is that today we need to uh, think about this headquarter subsidiary relationship in totally new ways. Um, I think we lived in a time of over-standardization and over-centralization over the last 10 years, uh, and we, have, we should now think about where where the action takes place, and they take place locally. Nobody drinks Coca-Cola globally. Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting comment. I want to have you comment on something Mike Morell said in his quote. We have just about a minute until we end this segment. Uh, he says uh, talks about needing to share more, implement governance, compliance, and regulation, and companies need to manage subsidiary independence. When do you think it's the time for subsidiaries to grow up, Eric? That's, that time has, has already passed, and it's really – it, that, that time has passed, in my opinion, today, and I think uh, uh, also Steve mentioned that today we can we operate in near real time. We can push the same information uh, in every one of the subsidiaries. So this is a time where the relationship fundamentally changes, and I, I agree with Michael and I disagree with Michael in terms of uh, um, uh, his point of view on, on squandering of investments, but I agree on, on new ways of governance between headquarters and subsidiaries, uh, regulation and compliance. Sounds a little bit tax-orientated, you know, compliance and regulation. And I think, I think that the relationship will be much more human and, and a lot less, lot less uh, uh, tax compliance and regulated. Very, very interesting. We're going to save the challenge. We're going to give you some rebuttal time, Mike Morrell, after we come back. I feel like Candy Crowley, except she really had a hard job last night on the second debate. No comment. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. You want to tweet us, go to hashtag SAP Radio. You can find me at BizBreakRadio. You can spell that, and you can... Add your comments. Malcolm is, is valiantly tweeting away on the comments on my guests and what they're saying, all these wonderful words of wisdom. We're going to be right back with our Coffee Break segment and find out what Steve King, Mike Morell, and Eric Jakobstaller are drinking today. I'm sure it's something exciting as we tackle part three of subsidiaries, chaos around the family dinner table. How can we cure that chaos and have a peaceful dinner? Is that even possible? We'll be right back after our break. Don't even think of touching that app. I'm Bonnie. Stay tuned. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. 
Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, we're back. And we want to find out what my three special thought leaders today are drinking in their cup. I'm sure they have fascinating dinner table stories or coffee break stories for me. Steve King, Emergent Research. What's in your coffee break cup today, Steve? Oh, I'm, I'm constantly a pizza. Uh, coffee drinker, so I have Pete's Coffee again this morning. It must have a flavor. It must have a label on it. Give me a little more detail, Steve. Come on. Uh, Major Dickinson's Blend is my preferred coffee, and I have to say I drink it every morning, and I have for years. I'm kind of boring when it comes to coffee. I don't think you're boring at all, at least not on the show. And do you do anything to you? Do you doctor it, sugar, milk, cream, flavoring? Come on, give me a little more. No, I, I, I drink it black. I'm, I'm actually not that big a fan of coffee. To me, it's just a caffeine mm. delivery system. So the quickest <laughs> and easiest way to have that happen is how I drink it. I love that. And no surprise, they don't let me have caffeine on show day, Steve. What can I tell you? And Mike Morell from SAP, what's in your cup today, Mike? You know, I'm uh, more of a Starbucks fan. And so it sounds like we've got dueling rivalries here. But um, I, I favor uh, the Verona blend, and Verona. which is a fairly dark blend. and. And I, I like the flavor of coffee. I, I try to keep it to one cup a day, and I can, I'm pretty mm. good at nursing it, but, um, but I like the flavor. Good. Thank you very but much. So we've black. got what, one vote for Pete's and one vote for Starbucks. Eric, what are you drinking today at Vivaldi? I have the, uh, I, I break the vote. I have also Starbucks. I discovered over the weekend that you can buy in a retail store the Starbucks cups. Uh, that these couplets or couplets they're called, and you can put them in your office into a Keurig machine, which I which we oh. do have in our kitchen. And so I actually get my Starbucks fix house blend <laughs> in the office, and I don't have to stand anymore in line. You know, these twenty feet line deep line of bus drivers and school teachers waiting for a, and asking for a cafe latte. I have it now at the convenience in my office. I love it. Coffee uh, Starbucks on demand via courtesy of Keurig in the office. I love it. And I have to read Malcolm says today Malcolm's cup holds great promise for business success in the global market. Can you believe this, kids? And he's drinking Equator Coffee's Ethiopia Amaro Natural Organic, a sublime Wow, Malcolm. A sublime mix of concentrated jammy cherry fruit, sweet Merlot wine, rich nut and dark chocolate with a hint of cola and a creamy 
me mouthfeel? Okay. <laughs> All right. Glad to hear that. Malcolm is our, our co-producer and official tweeter during the shows, and we really want to give him the time he deserves. So thank you to Malcolm and Equator Coffees. Okay. Now, I want to kick off our roundtable segment. I want to dive a little deeper into the concept of how social technology, social media, social networking are impacting the relationship between, I'll call it the parent company, and their kids, their subs. So I'm going to start off with Steve King, and you sent me this talking point. Let's kick it off with this, Steve. You say, how do social technologies, everything from Twitter to video conferencing to social tools like Jive, are changing how corporations interact and manage their subs? Let's go a little deeper in this, Steve. Why don't you start us off? Well, it, it, it's what we talked about before and, and what Eric mentioned. It's, it's the real-time nature. It's the interactive nature. It's the fact that we can be in touch at any point. And, and I think the, the key thing that it's one of the key things it's doing is it's, it's making the relationship more equal, um, or at least mm. the possibility of it being more equal if the corporate parent allows, and, and putting, giving us the ability to, to give more control and authority down to the local level. Because you can flow information up, and I've I've uh, I've always believed in working overseas. I always liked the idea of strong financial controls, and 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 but weaker managerial controls. Give your give your subsidiaries freedom of action within their space, um, but but watch them closely at a financial level. And now with mm-hmm. uh, social technologies, uh, that just makes all of that so much easier to do. And you can give power to the local businesses, and you can run your business as a local business as part of a global corporation. Okay. I want to talk about video conferencing. Are we talking about Skype, about iChat, or just about filling rooms with people and having a camera on them? How is this bringing – let's talk about the culture barrier, Steve. This is always something we talk about in terms of what you call foreign subsidiaries, where you have – you invest in a local company. They have their own style. They have their own local flavor. They have their own ways of communicating with customers and suppliers. And here you are. You've bought them. You're somewhere else in the world. Is this a good way of, of uh, shall we say, as Mike likes to say, curing the the chaos at the dinner table is video conferencing the next equalizer do you think I, I yeah i love video conferencing and, and i actually use it a fair amount um particularly to try to avoid going overseas and and long distance travel and I, and I think it's very effective for that um i think you have to develop relationships first uh it's mm-hmm. face-to-face is not disappearing i think you have to have a relationship you're you're, you're at the best if you have a relationship with the person that you're doing video with, because video is a tough medium, and we're used to professional newscasters looking at us in video. And so, so, you, so, but once you've developed a relationship, then video is a great way to share information. And I do think it's a, something that just is getting better and better. Some of the, you know, I use Skype a lot. Um, occasionally, I use high, higher end systems like telepresence and and other things like that, room based videos, and they've gotten to the point where the quality level. You know you're not in the same room, but you really can conduct business almost as if you were. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mike Morell, I'm sure you have something to say about this. And, Mike, a little later in the show, we're going to – or later in this segment, we're going to get into the different kinds of subsidiaries, do a little primer 101 on, on what kinds of subs and do some definitions. But, Mike, what's your thought about face-to-face in terms of healing that disparity, those dis- discordant conversations at the dinner table? What do you think? Well, I think obviously that the communication between the the subsidiaries and corporate is is critical, and Mm -hmm. and I think and I agree with with um, with Steve in that 
you know, there's, there's different, there's different aspects of how you want to manage your subsidiaries. You, you want to be able to, again, you know, I, I, I probably sound a little bit like Big Brother here, but, um, but, you know, the GRC piece, uh, tends to be a pretty big deal with a lot of these, um, larger corporations because, you know, thanks to laws like Sarbanes-Oxley and, 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 and similar laws in other countries, um, if you've got a subsidiary out there in the middle of nowhere doing illegal stuff, uh, you at corporate go to jail. And so there's a, there's a lot of concerns here to make sure that uh, you put enough controls in place at your subsidiaries so that they don't do stuff that, that they shouldn't really be doing. And, and as we know, in, in not all cultures, um, you know, have the same kind of of, of standards as, as the Americans do. So I think you've got to be able to, to one, on one side, make sure that, uh, you know, that the children are being good. Mm-hmm. And if they're not being good, they, they know that there's consequences. But at the same time, like you say, you've got to, you've got to allow them to act locally. And, and, you know, I always think of, of subsidiaries and, and the relationship with corporate is, corporate is really in the role of making sure that the subsidiary is more competitive than maybe even the local players. And so part of that is making sure that they can compete locally, they can act locally, they can be quick and, and, and react to, to whatever business changes that they have to. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they've got this, this, you know, corporate father, if you will, or, or mother, uh, that's, that's supporting them and, uh, and maybe doing stuff that, that's not maybe necessarily critical to, to competition uh, or the competitive environment, but still necessary to run the business. So I think there's this balance between, you know, being, you know, letting your kids run free and making sure that they know there's some rules here uh, before they go crazy. Managing but not micromanaging. I want to bring Eric Yakumstaller into this conversation as well. Eric, you, saw, you told me before the show there are new organizational forms that take collaboration across organizational silos, whether functions or geography. Very important to introduce the concept of collaboration. We're talking about communication. We're talking about control. We're talking about acting local. We're talking about the parents making sure that the kids don't embarrass them, a.k.a. get them into any kind of legal or financial trouble. So how does collaboration come into this when you've essentially got a company saying, I've got enough money to buy a company somewhere else in the world. They're going to be an income stream for me. I'm going to control them. And now we're saying they want to collaborate. So what are the boundaries you see of collaboration, Eric? Um, I think that I agree with uh, my colleagues here on the phone. Uh, there, are, there are certain limitations of how you start a relationship, but I think that today we more and more live in a always-on world. And when you live always-on, you, you collaborate 24-7, if you will, almost, and uh, uh, the permitting time zones. So I think that there is a totally new mindset of how a, a, an acquisition uh, 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 sort of gets assimilated in, in, in an existing organization. There is a notion in this new world we, we live in of shareability, a willingness to, 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 uh, or to, to engage in information uh, uh, exchanges that I don't think that existed in the past. And we, we see this in, in our daily lives, how people share their opinions about uh, last night's debate on uh, uh, on TV between uh, Romney and and Twitter feeds that we get uh, in our house.
differences uh, concurrently with the, the debate, let's say. Uh, and I think this sort of sharing is, is taking place. Video is helpful in this. Uh, these technologies are, uh, are in, enabling these social technologies are not technologies like email where you send something to somebody and message to somebody, but you really engage in conversations. And, and I think so this is, a, this is a very big difference between communication one way, headquarters to subsidiaries and once every quarter subsidiary to headquarter versus an always on uh, uh, real-time engagement and conversation and, and sharing of, of, of information. Thank you, Eric. And as promised, before we end, we've got two minutes left. Mike Morrell, let's do a little 101 here on subsidiaries. What are some of the different kinds of subs we're talking about in your domain, in your world, that you would consider people need to know and say, hey, that's a subsidiary? You want to give us a little list, Mike? Well, I mean, I think what we find in, in talking to our customers is that you're going to probably have, like, four different categories of subsidiaries. You know, you're going to have classic sales offices, and those are spread around the world. You're going to have organizations that deliver services, typically around the core products that um, that the corporation sells. You're going to have distribution organizations, okay, so not necessarily company, you know, companies that are that are managing the flow of goods and, and managing supply chains. And then you're going to have your classic manufacturing organizations. So, uh, and, and what, a lot of people, you know, sit back and they say, oh, gee, subsidiary, that's a manufacturing plant somewhere. And what we find is that's probably only 15 to 20% of the subsidiaries. So it's a relatively small amount. What's, what's really happening is you've got a tremendous number of sales offices and service organizations around the world that uh, are basically supporting the corporate needs. And I think that's the challenge, is that you want to be able to sit back and say, okay, so what kind of a strategy am I going to put in place that's going to allow me to manage all of these different kinds of subsidiaries with obviously different levels of complexity um, in, a, in, a, in a standardized kind of way? Because what that's going to do is that's going to allow corporate uh, to be happy with, with, with their needs, their needs for GRC, their needs for financial controls, um, and that kind of stuff. But it's also going to allow the local subsidiaries to basically flourish and do what they need to do. And that's what we're talking about. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm speaking with Mike Morell, Steve King, and Eric Yakumstaller. We're talking about subsidiaries, gathering the family around the dinner table. How do we cure the chaos? We're going to get into a little more of the nitty-gritty of process and applications and shared services when we come back, get into the technicalities. Not too deep in the weeds, boys, though. That's what we're not going to do. And talk about how do you solve that chaos. Don't even think of touching that app or that dial, that mouse. However you're listening to us here on the Business Channel, we'll be right back with lots more coffee break with game changers justin out from the boardroom to you voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9% of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision making in real time no matter where they are SAP and Sybase and SAP company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business
you're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back. And a reminder, if you're a game changer in the retail industry, we have a great little ebook for you. It's free. It's on the house. I'm happy to give it to you. Just click on the Are You a Game Changer on the Go banner on our business channel page, and it'll take you to a wonderful resource page, all kinds of freebies and goodies, infographics and ebooks and playbooks, stuff you might really, really benefit from in your company, whatever size company and wherever in the world you're located. And that's our gift to you. Now, let's get back to our roundtable topic today of subsidiaries, curing chaos at the family dinner table. I'm going to ask Eric Jakobstaller from Vivaldi Partners to lead us into this part of the roundtable. Eric, you were going to play off of something that Mike Morell said in our last segment, so why don't you go ahead? Correctly, yes. Uh, I like what Mike said, that there you really one way to solve the puzzle or the, the chaos at the dinner table is to look at the kinds of subsidiaries. Uh, he mentioned sales offices, service delivery, manufacturing offices. I'd like to add another one that's very important, and that's R&D labs uh, that have been located to China and India. Between One study showed between 2004 and 2011, about 1,400 R&D labs have been located in those places. And I think that's a significant amount of money. There are all these R&D subsidiaries out there who are trying to invent something that they can then reverse invent to the rest of the world. And this is, I think, Steve mentioned earlier in this program. Um, I think that these are uh, R&D labs in search of a job. Uh, and, and finding something because they can't can't sell in 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 the in the in the foreign markets in China and India they send it back to the United States some uh, uh, a good enough solutions at a very very low price but I think what we need to focus on if we think about subsidiaries in this new revolution of globalization and managing headquarters to subsidiaries is really the front office if anything social technologies or, or collaboration tools in general uh, in a it is the frontline offices, the interface with the customers, not the back office, not the manufacturing side, not the supply chain, but the front office. And I think if we focus on those, there we see the huge opportunities of, 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 of solving, in my opinion, the cows at the dinner table. Thank you. Steve, I'm going to ask you to jump in on something Eric touched on. I know you have a, a, an interesting topic here of frugal innovation, R&D, being conducted in the developing world. And he was talking about economies of scale, I believe, or, or keeping costs low. What do you think about frugal innovation, and what is it, Steve King? Well, Eric, Eric, Eric hit on it, and, and it's mm-hmm. basically that um, in a lot of the countries of the developing world, they, they don't have the resources, meaning the customers don't have the resources to buy expensive things. And so people tend to create um, less expensive items and then discover that, hey, that, that same item or some similar product would sell well in the, in, in the developed world. And so there's a lot of examples. Maytag did a washing machine in Brazil that they then brought to the United States that was much cheaper. Um, there, there's a lot of examples of that going on, and a lot of companies are trying to figure out how do you, how do you tap that type of innovation to bring products globally. And, and in many cases, it is at an R&D facility in, in a foreign country and, and for, the, for the headquarters team. And you've set those R&D facilities up um, to tap into that innovation uh, 
capability, but you've also set it up in many cases because that's the way you enter a market and have market access is an agreement to, to do research and development and employ folks. So, so you've got those resources and you're taking advantage of it. And so what happens is products um, flow more broadly across the globe from place to place, and even um, you have, country, you have a, a product developed in a third world country that will then be sold in a third world country. And, and developing country trade has grown more rapidly than trade between developed countries and developing countries over the last decade. So you just see a, a greater increase in, in product flow. I have a question about the nature of this R&D, and anybody can jump in on this. We talk about R&D, frugal innovation, local concepts, uh, something that comes out really well and you want to market it to other subs or other sales offices around the world, other, other outlets, if you will. Is the home company in general, in your experience, and I love some case studies from any of you or all of you, is the, the, the home, uh, the parent, shall we say, the parent company sending their home office talent to a subsidiary R&D area or department, if you will, and saying, okay, work with the locals, see what kinds of really brainy innovations they have an idea that we may be too close to or too far away from here in the main corporate structure, wherever you're located, or are they just saying to the R&D of this local subsidiary, we know you can do it, kids, we know you've got great ideas, make mom and dad proud, show us what you got. So are they leading the witness or are they allowing this R&D to happen organically, if you will? Anybody want to help me with that? Well, this is Steve. I, I've, I've seen it both ways, and, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of it has to do with, with the corporate cultures of the companies involved. And leading the witness is usually the way things start. You, you, okay. you send some of your own people, you set up an R&D lab. Oftentimes those locals, those uh, R&D labs outside of the home country are, are often stepchildren to start. Um, and then and then grow into something more. And by stepchildren, I mean they're assigned low-level R&D functions mm-hmm. to fulfill the needs of the corporate parent, if you will. And then over mm-hmm. time, that may change. Other companies make the decision um, into a corporation, for example, set up a big R&D lab in, in India and basically gave it the mandate of building products for India and for the developing world and, and was more or less uh, left it somewhat detached from their U.S., um, R&D efforts. And so that became kind of the place where they specifically developed for that part of the world and and brand new from the ground products. I think that case is, is, is unusual. I think most companies start the other way and grow into it. So, so I think it takes a more mature company that's been at it for a little while to truly allow their, their overseas R&D facilities, you know, sort of a free reign. Um, or as free a rain as you get it if you're an R&D facility these days. Thank you, Steve. Pro- um, yes, Eric. If I may say, Eric, here at Procter & Gamble, I, I was uh, speaking to the head of uh, technology and uh, in charge of all the R&D centers. Uh, uh, Procter & Gamble, uh, Bruce Brown is his name, and uh, uh, he uh, talked about how they uh, built, uh, for them, the important part is to, to get real great talent into the subsidiaries, uh, R&D subsidiaries. So they built in Singapore a special hub for Asia uh, in order to make sure that 
uh, of uh, the talent is not just encouraged to stay at the at the headquarters in in Cincinnati and uh, and actually sort of uh, build uh, real capabilities and strengths through talent and R&D talent in this market. So they are not merely uh, 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 locals that are sort of uh, stepchildren, if you will. They are sort of part of a very color, the deliberate strategy from the CEO McDonald. Um, it, as the numbers show from McDonald, uh, from I'm sorry, from Procter and Gamble, it hasn't mm-hmm. worked yet. But I think the, the strategy is, is, is on 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 target there. Eric, Thank didn't, you. Didn't P&G actually move one of their divisions to Singapore? Wasn't it their beauty division that they yes. moved the headquarters from from Cincinnati to Singapore? Yes, I, I met the people, and in, in, when I was in uh, Cincinnati, I met actually the people who came from Singapore, and uh, I wasn't in the facility in Singapore itself, but that's true. Yes, I, I think that's that's an interesting. You know, you've brought up an interesting example of where the subsidiary now really isn't. I mean. That's no longer the subsidiary for the beauty care division. The U.S. is now the, effectively the subsidiary for the beauty care division, at least on one level. Well, let's extend yes. this conversation to ask the question, what happens when a foreign, quote-unquote, foreign subsidiary becomes as big as or bigger than the parent company? What does that do to the relationship? Do they still legally, technically stay the sub? Or is there a, uh, hey, mom and dad, uh, we want equal share in how the family cars get distributed? How does that happen? Now, Mike Morell, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, I think, you know, you're still going to have um, sort of the control of the purse strings, if you will. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, part of it you have to look at, at what part of, of the business are you, are you, are you controlling? So, mm-hmm. you know, in the case of R&D, you know, if you've got a, a predominantly large R&D organization overseas, um, then, then they're going to control that part of the business. You know, but you, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of big, there's a lot of different pieces of the business. Um, the other thing I think is important, at least we see this in the software business, is that, you know, initially, uh, a lot of software companies, including SAP, you know, basically spread software development all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of it due to looking at where expertise was as well as, as where you could save on in terms of cost. Um, you know, what we're now finding is that you've got to really concentrate what's happening in particular areas because what happens is if you've got like one product that's being developed over five different continents, uh, the collaboration becomes really, really difficult. And so we're beginning to focus down and say, okay, this country owns this and this country owns that. And, and it makes it a lot easier to manage and, and really to get products out more quickly. Mike, I want you to segue, if you will. We've got three minutes left of this segment. I'd like to cover an important point you brought up and that was in my opening, talking about a subsidiary ecosystem that has become a tangled mess of dissimilar applications. What's your philosophy, your point of view, Mike, if you will, on, on how to just streamline it, get all the wires unmasked and put them in one sheath and say, yes, we really know what everybody's doing. Is that even possible if you're spread all over the world, Mike? Well, we think yes. Um, you know, basically the, the tangled mess is really a, as a result of, of growth that happens uh, in many cases through acquisition. So, you know, companies buy, you know, corporate organizations buy companies and then they get the applications that come with. And you do that a hundred times and all of a sudden, again, you've got a hundred different applications and so you've got to be able to manage that and it's difficult. Um, that combined with the fact that as we talked Earlier, there's a lot of different kinds of subsidiaries with a lot of different needs. But what a lot of companies are looking at is, you know, is are there applications 
that I can standardize on that are going to be applicable to every different kind of subsidiary regardless of what that subsidiary is doing. So a lot of people are looking at cloud solutions, for example, because cloud solutions can be delivered modularly. You only, you only get what you pay, you know, you only pay for what you need. And a lot of companies are saying that this is sort of the next new model. As I, as I think about how to standardize across my subsidiaries, um, is that I can use a cloud solution because of the delivery mechanism and because of the way that, that I can deliver what a subsidiary needs, uh, and only that. So, so yeah, okay. that is beginning to happen. And that's really where people Very are moving. Steve, I want you to just weigh in for 30 seconds on this. Agree, disagree with Mike? Oh, absolutely. To- totally agree. And I, and I, and, and the cloud, you know, with the cloud getting more powerful and, and more important, it will just continue. Okay, we're at the end of this part of our second roundtable segment. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Our topic today, Curing the Chaos at the Family Dinner Table, Subsidiaries Part 3. When we return, you know what's coming up, the crystal ball. I'm going to ask my three very smart guests to gaze into the crystal ball and predict what this subsidiaries discussion we're having today. It is October 17, 2012. What would this discussion be like five years from today in 2017? We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app, whatever you're doing, you don't want to miss predictions coming up. Justin, out. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Back so soon. Yes, we are. Quick note to my listeners. Go to the banner on the page that says, Are you a Game Changer on the go? And click. You go to a page full of free resources, e-books and infographics and playbooks and all kinds of things with great information we'd love to have you use as a Game Changer in your business life. Now let's do our crystal ball segment. We're going to kick off with Steve King from Emergent Research. Steve, subsidiaries, five years from today, will we still be using the word? And what will we be talking about, Steve? Oh, yeah, we'll still be using the word in, in five years in terms of legal structures and legal structure changes and, and, and for that matter, large company in particular organizational structures, not a long, not a long period of time. So, so things will be pretty similar to what they are today. I, I think some of the biggest shifts will continue to be 
in terms of the relationships and, and that I believe subsidiaries will continue to gain power and control relative to corporate parents. I think there's also this, this uh, to- evolving um, shift towards lots more business partnerships. And so we're going to start to see subsidiaries develop their own, own relationships with third parties, um, bring those to the corporate parent. I think we'll just see more movement in that direction. And then I, I think we're going to see a lot more cross-fertilization of information flows back and forth between subsidiaries there and the subsidiaries and their parents, but I think more importantly across the subsidiaries themselves. And so just a lot more information flow, um, which, which will lead to better best practices across the organization, better innovation, um, lots of advantages, um, get people talking, get people together, and good things happen. Good things happen. And will R&D still be one of the leading functions that, that parent companies will want their subsidiaries to be doing in five years? Or will that just be SOP standard operating procedure? We won't even talk about it. Say hey, you're a sub. Hey, we want you to go do development. What, what do you think, Steve? No, I, I think R&D will continue to be pushed out more and more. And I think uh, Eric's point about Procter & Gamble, you got to go where the talent is. And talent's everywhere. And so to attract and retain the best talent, and particularly in the R&D world, you're going to have to be located around the world. So I think you're, we're going to see R&D contribute, continue to be distributed and even more distributed than it is today. Great. Thank you, Steve King. Mike Morrell, SAP, what do you see in your crystal ball, Mike? I know you polished it off just in time for the show. What do you think? Will we be talking about chaos and family relationships, or will we have another word for subsidiaries entirely in five years, Mike Morrell? No, I, I mean, I agree with Steve that it's still going to be about subsidiaries. You know, maybe there's not going to be sort of that father-parent, or if there is a father-parent, it's, it's an adult parent, you know, it's adult uh, child. Um, but I think what's really going to happen over the five years is we're going to, is companies are going to get a better handle on how to manage their entire ecosystem. I think a big piece of, of the reason that there's a lot of fragmentation out there is because the data just doesn't flow. It, there, there's too much. It's not structured. You've got all different kinds of applications in the subsidiaries, and so you've got this this tangled mess of applications, but also, quite frankly, this tangled mess of collecting information and data. Mm-hmm. And and so, if you sit back and say, okay, so what if I could magically snap my fingers and get all the data that I that I can that I need from all my different subsidiaries around the world? Uh, I'm going to gag. There's too much data. So I think the other trend that's going to happen is this whole issue of big data. And and as companies say, okay, so if I if I really want to do a better job of managing my ecosystem, if I really want to manage my supply chains more effectively, my R&D processes, distribution sales, all this kind of stuff, then I'm going to have to have a, a better handle on what's happening everywhere. And to do that, I've got to be able to crunch the numbers. It's, it's In some cases, it's just a technical thing. Um, but I think as as we look forward to what's happening in terms of innovations around being able to manage big data and 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 what and how I can do that very quickly, I think those kinds of technological advances are going to make a big difference in terms of how I look and how I manage my entire ecosystem in a more holistic way. 
Mike, I have a question for you about the family relationship, subs as parents, uh, sorry, subs as kids, and, and the, the home office, if you will, or the purchasing office as the parent. Whose fault is it that we have these tangled ecosystems? Is it uh, the Pac-Man mentality of let's gobble it all up? As Steve said, you have to be everywhere around the world. You've got to have a presence. You've got to go where the talent is. Steve said the talent is everywhere. Go where the talent is. So the question is, Mike, will we finally figure out are companies gobbling up too many little little things? along the way, too fast, too eager, too excited? Will they slow it down and do it in a more logical, untangling that web fashion going forward, or will we just continue to see this gobbling effect? Mike? I don't think we'll slow down, and I don't think we should. Um, Because, remember, the reason we've got this tangled mess is because companies are out there, you know, corporate organizations are out there buying companies so that they can basically support whatever growth strategies they've got. And so the real challenge is, how do I untangle it quickly? You know, how do I come in and say, okay, I've got this tangled mess, but I can fix that really fast. And I think that's where people are going to focus on is saying, okay, so here's my strategy to untangle the mess, if you will. And, and then they, if they get the processes down, the transition processes down quickly, you know, then it becomes less of an issue. Okay, thank you. And let's turn to Eric for his predictions. We may have a minute or two left over for a bonus round. If we do, I'll let you know. Eric Jakobstaller, Vivaldi Partners. Predictions, Eric, what's in your crystal ball today? I see that um, uh, headquarters will shrink further and further. They will get smaller and smaller. Subsidiaries will get bigger and bigger. Um, so that uh, the, the, the technology, as we discussed earlier, more and more will enable us to uh, push responsibilities and budgets and allocations of uh, funds where the rubber meets the road, namely where the customer is, and the customer is local. Uh, and uh, and so the power that if in order to retain the quality of people, I think that there will be uh, a, a shift, a significant shift toward the subsidiaries. And the, and the controls will be, uh, at headquarters will be, uh, of, uh, much more in the back office financially, if you will. Uh, um, I, I think it's a very good point mentioned earlier that, that the nature of the data, there's a lot of unstructured data, big data, uh, also called from customers, from local markets. Problem is that these are not fit um, to uh, be analyzed at headquarters. So they first need to get structured uh, and then uh, brought together in a, into a framework. And I think that there will be some functions that will change fundamentally. We need to rethink how we standardize, what can be standardized, how those information flows actually can 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 uh, um, can work. I work with a lot of global brands. Uh, for example, I work with Philips Electronics. Um, mm-hmm. One subsidiary is in the business of healthcare. The other one is in lighting. The other one is in in consumer lifestyle. These are three very different businesses. You do a brand study. You want to build a brand. Every every one subsidiary has a slightly different approach to to understanding customers. They are in different businesses, but at the same time, headquarters needs to get an overview of the global strengths of the Philips brand. And and that will be the challenge. What can be done locally? What can be done globally? And I think that technology is a great enabler to make sure that we can rethink this 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 idea, this, this concept of what needs to be central or what needs to be decentralized or standardized in a, in a totally new way. 
at the end of the day, the, the relationship will be a lot more human um, because of these new social and collaboration tools. But but the controls will be um, uh, 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 financial uh, rather than uh, um, as we have them today uh, through through guidelines that are managerial guidelines, let's say. Thank you, Eric. I have a quick trivia question. I've got two minutes left to go, and I don't need all of it. Trivia question for all of you. What is the company that's considered the, the biggest parent of them all with the most children today? Is there a company that is renowned for gobbling up other companies, for wanting a subsidiary ecosystem that's absolutely huge? They're doing it all the time. Is there a company that's known as the biggest sub-owner? Anybody? Just curious. I would think of companies like Nestle, uh, who have very small headquarters. There is very little business in Switzerland, uh, in Veve. Uh, they have lots of subsidiaries. It's probably not the largest company, but mm-hmm. they, from almost by birth, because they never had a home market, uh, learned how to operate uh, globally in a very very, uh, local local way, if you will, and and with very, very strong subsidiaries and very uh, strong independence, also because of the nature of the business, namely consumer goods marketing, uh, uh, food food food-related marketing, Unilever, these kind of firms, I think, are are, uh, come to mind uh, when I think of it. Thank you, Eric. You've taken me up to my time for predictions. Next Wednesday, October 24th, we'll be talking about the future of education, design thinking, teaching kids what they really need to succeed, listen and learn. Wednesday, October 31st, we're welcoming back SAP CIO Oliver Busman and Steve Romero and a great panel to talk about the changing role of today's CIO. November 7th, all the way into November, we're going to be talking about negotiation and persuasion, 21st century. Sales Warrior Playbook with SAP North America COO Ross Wainwright and a great panel of thought leaders. Hey, we've heard that coffee breaks taste better with one of our official oversized Game Changers mugs. You can get yours for free. Go to www.sapgamechangersradio.com. You know how to spell that and sign up for one. We'll send it. We'll ship it on the house. We'd love for you to have one. Happy anniversary to SAP Radio. We just finished one year, 72 live episodes on the Business Channel. Thank you, too, Patricia Harris for making this all possible. Malcolm Kimberlin for helping us have great panels of experts and keeping it going in the business channel team. You all rock. And my special guest today, Steve King, wonderful. Mike Morell, wonderful. Eric Jakumstaller, and a hello to Sowa for keeping us the line open for Eric while he was navigating the subways. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. My words of warning, my words of wisdom to you are what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. We'll see you next week here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.